Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about Old West ghosts. That's right, but first, as always, let's get the shout-outs going here. We got shout-outs to all the patrons, some new patrons as well. I'm loving that. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank them if you like this show. Don't thank me. A lot of people like, oh, thanks, Kurt, I love your show. Thank you. I mean, that's cool and all, but thank the patrons. They're the reason that this show is still going. So shout-outs to... Crow, I, I was trying to do it like MST3K. Uh, Clay, Tim, Coxie, Buzz, hey, howdy, hi, Tom, Pro, Proletariat. All right. Lobita Works, Glacier, Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Tamara, Amber, Gary, Tracy, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, My Grands, Crypto, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Robot, Kick, oh, I almost screwed it up, Kick-Ass Magic, Robot, Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Cow, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Becca, Jake and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon! Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, What's That, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lorna, Phil, Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Scustin, Lindsay, Han, Megan, Matt, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi. She helped me design that. Not helped me. She basically was the, the person who designed that uh, We Don't Talk About Zozo t-shirt, the new shirt that's on Public. I'll talk about that later. Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamerfan. With, of course... Actually, wait, before I get to those special shout-outs, a very special shout-out to Black Sight Files podcast, Michael Hawes. And, and I'm, I'm very applause-happy today. Uh, and as special shout-outs, as always, to the best, Joe Teague and Stitch. Alrighty, I want to talk about a little bit about that uh, Black Sight Files, though. I just did an episode. He he reached out to me on on Twitter and was like, "Hey, I would love to have you on on the podcast." And seemed like cool. Seemed like cool guy. I almost said cool kid. I mean, he's younger than me, so seems like a very cool guy. So I was like, "Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do. I'll do it. I'll be a guest on his show." And I had a blast doing it. So make sure you check out Black Sight Files. I did an episode with him. And this is actually almost like a companion or sister piece episode to that one because his episode was about ghosts of the Old West. And I said, you know what? I kind of dig it. I like that idea. I had this stuff kind of laying around. I haven't really done anything with it or organized it. It's about damn time I did organize it. So I said, you know what? I If you listen to the episode, you'll find out at the end. But no, that's it. You know what? I'm going to tease it that way. Just listen to the episode and find out why I decided to do it this episode this week. Uh, but yeah, check it out. Black Sight Files. Had a blast doing it. Cool guy. Alrighty. Uh, let's see. Merch. Head on over to tpublic.com because last night, yesterday, 
The, the newest 200th episode limited edition shirt just went up for sale. And everything on there is on sale right now. So tpublic.com slash store slash paranormal almanac, something like that. You'll find it. It's easy to find. But not only did I do the newest limited edition 200th episode shirt, I actually did five more shirts. Five new shirts are up for grabs, for sale, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they're on, they're on sale. They're for sale on tpublic.com. So check them out. Uh, there's a lot of cool uh, styles. One of them, I uh, well, a few of them I really want, but one of them I really, really want. So I'm going to have to buy it. Actually, I'll buy it today as soon as I get done with this. Kurt here. I almost forgot before I released this episode. Like I was just about to release the episode. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't do a Hand of Fate update. I don't have the music ready. It's just, this is, I added this afterwards. Uh, Hand of Fate update. There was actually a really cool Hand of Fate update. Um, I got a brand new, thanks to the patrons, I got a bunch of new ghost uh, hunting equipment or paranormal investigation equipment. I don't like saying ghost hunting. I'm not hunting a ghost. Uh, that sounds like I'm going to kill a ghost. I don't want to do that. But I got a bunch of new paranormal investigation equipment, including a brand new EMF te uh, detector. I've got a uh, very cool digital voice recorder. I've got a very cool digital thermometer. I've got a cool FLIR attachment for my cell phone that's supposedly arriving any minute now, supposed to be arriving today, that I'm very excited to use. I've always wanted to have a FLIR, but they're just fucking expensive. I mean, really way outside my price range, and I can't ever fathom spending like $700 or $500 or $600, how much ever they are, on a FLIR. Um, but this one was cheaper. It plugs into your phone. It's not as good quality, but apparently it's you know, very popular among paranormal investigators. So I figured, you know what? I've always wanted one. Now's the time to do it because thanks to the patrons, that's where their money was going to this month was getting some new paranormal investigation tools. But so I got them and I was playing around the EMF detector and it's very cool, very well, well made one. Really, I really like it. Who's it by? Hold on. Let me give a free plug to Eric Hill EMF Tester. I got it on uh, Amazon. It was it was actually really cheap too, but it's very nice. So I was playing around with it and I went, ooh, hand of fate time. But where the hand of fate sits behind me, I was afraid that there's an outlet like below it. I was like, I don't want any outlets messing with my results. So I move the hand of fate over onto this bar that I have this by bar. I mean, like, you know, like where you can make drinks bar. That's basically to my, if you ever watched a live episode, it's to my left from the live episodes. Um, right there, I can reach, I'm touching it now. Uh, it's right there. So I move the hand of fate there because there's no, there's nothing electrical on there. There's no lamps that are plugged in. I mean, there's nothing electrical over there. So I was like, cool, there's going to be no interference whatsoever. I put the hand of fate over there, picked up the EMF, and then I shot a video. You can watch it on Facebook. I'll, I'll throw it up on the Patreon as well if I can figure out how. Uh, Patreon is not good for throwing videos up. It's actually kind of a pain in the ass. But um, so you, on the video, you can see me hold the AMF detector and then I move it and point it at the hand. Again, nothing electrical around it. And it just starts going batshit crazy. I mean, seriously, batshit crazy. And then I'd move it away and it'd go back down to normal and I'd move it back to the hand. And I was like, okay, that's weird. So I, I recorded it and and you know, made a video of it and I posted it up on the Facebook page. And then I was like, I'm going to try it in a few more places. So tried it in a few more places. Same fucking results. So then I was like, all right, I'll, I want to do another video. I point the EMF detector right at the microwave. Nothing. Point it at my stove where there's a lot of outlets. Nothing. Point it at the hand now moved back to where it was sitting. It goes batshit crazy again. Something about that hand causes an EMF detector, electromagnetic frequency detector, to go batshit crazy. And there shouldn't be. There's no battery in the hand. It's just this bronze hand. 
So it was very weird. I had to share the results of that. And then I almost forgot completely to actually add it to, you know, the podcast where everybody listens. Not everybody's on Facebook, rightfully so. You shouldn't be. Social media is terrible. But um, yeah, so now you guys have the update as well. Very odd. I don't know what to think of it. People are like, well, you should get the hand x-rayed. It's bronze. There's, there's nothing in it. I can't imagine that an x-ray is going to come back with, oh, yeah, there's a human bone inside. I mean, maybe. I don't fucking know. But it just it's a bronze hand. And other people are like, well, you should take it in and get it tested. I don't know anybody that does metallurgical testing. I can't afford to get it done. Um, then there's some people that say you should take it to a museum. Okay, that one I agree with. That is the eventual plan is to take it to a museum, tell them the story, and just have them go, well, I don't fucking know what this thing is. Because that's what the results are going to be. No museum's going to go, oh my God, that's the hand of fate. We've been looking for that. So, But, you know, you never know. I'm going to take it to a museum and see what they think. See if they can give me some idea of the age of it, which I don't think they will. I eventually want to show it to a buddy of mine named Grider, who is a master metal worker. I think I've talked about him before on this episode, on episodes, and get his impression of it. And then... With uh, the Sean Bishop's help, I want to make a mold of the hand and then, you know, pull, do a couple of plastic castings of the hand. Maybe maybe sell them. I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to sell them. Maybe I'll give them away to a patron. I'll give one away to a patron. That's probably going to be the plan. But that's way down the line because it's a uh, I got to buy the the silicone. We got to make the mold. It's a pain in the ass. Sean hasn't even hasn't even seen the hand yet. If I remember I remember tomorrow when I see him, in the, you know, tomorrow morning when I see him, I'll try and bring the hand so I can show it to him. But I didn't want to bring it the last time I saw him because his kid was with him, and I don't want to do that. If there is something weird to this hand, I don't want to expose a child to something that could, you know, potentially be really bad. Like a, a, a child, child. Like Elijah, when Elijah comes over, hopefully next week, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson will come over. I, I, Elijah can, you know, pick up the hand, do whatever he wants with it because Elijah's cool as fuck. But I'm just saying for Sean's kid, I don't want to, I don't want to add some bad mojo to, to someone's life if I don't have to. But, uh, all right, there you go. There's hands update. All right, back to whatever the hell I was babbling about um, that I've already recorded. So back to you, Kurt. Let's get on over to Paranormal News. Strange things happen every day. Keep a watch out of your new way. That's just the way the universe moves, but now it's time for Paranormal News. Ah, I love these bumper music, man. I love it. If you guys want to make so, I've said it before, but I want to say it again. We're getting very close. We're in the now, within 10 episodes of the 200th extravaganza. I don't remember what I called it, but para-extravaganza, the 200th episode. And I'm going to need some paranormal um, news music, So and also maybe even a new theme song just for the 200th episode. So if you want to submit those, uh, make some cool music, send it over to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. All righty, first story. Uh, what should I, should I talk a little bit more about the 10th episode? Yeah, I should. Like I said, we're almost at the 200th episode. One of the cool things that I wanted to do, or at least I think it's cool, things I wanted to do for the 200th episode is have it be sponsored by patrons. So patrons, like if you listen to the list of patrons, there's a bunch of people that are way cool, way more talented than I ever could be that uh, that have like comics and make jewelry and do paintings and artwork that if you ever watch a live show, there's some behind me. 
Like, these are some talented motherfuckers. And I'm like, you know what? I want to have that entire show sponsored by them. So, if you are a patron, you have to be a valid patron. You know what? Nah, I'll even open it up a little bit more. If you are a patron now or were ever a patron for more than a month and you want to have your thing advertised on the 200th episode, let me know. Email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I was, it was initially going to be just current patrons, but maybe I'll open it up. I'll see how it goes, but maybe I'll open it up to past patrons as well because I got to thank every patron who's ever helped me out and why not sponsor you? Why not uh, promote you, I guess is the better way of saying it. So if you want your thing promoted, email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com if you are a patron now or ever were a patron. Now, it is not a guarantee. I have right of refusal. So if I think that your thing isn't appropriate or right for this show, it's not a guarantee that I'm going to advertise for you. But let me know because I'm going to start. You got to let me know soon because I'm going to start really putting together this 200th episode. I already have been. I, the outline is just out of control, but I love it. Um, so, you know, get in touch with me because I want to make sure that the ads for the 200th episode are patron ads because that's a, my big thank you to you guys for helping me so much. All right, I think that's about it. So for uh, paranormal news, first thing in paranormal news, Paracon. That's con with two N's. That's right. It's Connecticut's premier paranormal convention. It happens July 16th and 17th. Seems like it's going to be way freaking cool. And there's actually a couple of patrons that are going to go to it, or a couple of listeners that are going to go to it. Uh, but it's got just about everybody there. It's got John Zaffis, paranormal researcher, nephew of Ed and Lorraine Warren. That's cool. It has the amazing Kreskin. Uh, that's that's neat. It's first ever paranormal convention appearance. He's the world's most famous mentalist. If you don't know who he is, check him out. Um, it has Jim Pedanito, who is the photographer. I'm probably saying your name wrong, last name wrong. I apologize. The photographer for Ed and Lorraine Warren. That has, I mean, it's got a bunch of people. I'm not going to go down the list. You can check it out. Go to the website. It's it's paracon with two N's dot wordpress dot com. But it's got a whole lot of people. Doesn't have me yet. Maybe next year. Maybe next year they'll they'll ask me to go. And I would definitely go because I'm going to start getting out there and doing more and more conventions. So if you're listening, conventions or paranormal peoples, uh, this podcast, thankfully, thanks to you guys, is still... One of the top 100 podcasts out there. And I cannot thank you guys enough for that. It blows my mind every time I get these numbers that pop in. Most numbers I I, I don't even look at. I'm like, uh, okay, cool. I, I don't know what that means. But when that number hits, um, it always blows my mind. So thank you. And check out Paracon, too. If you're in Connecticut or around Connecticut, July 16th and 17th, I would say buy your tickets now because it sounds like it's going to be a blast. Up next in paranormal news, a bummer of a paranormal news story uh, that that one of the listeners was like, hey, did you see this? One of the patrons. And I was like, fuck, man, this sucks. I talked about the Holly Hotel a while ago. It's a hotel in in Michigan that um, that I've really always wanted to go to. It's a haunted hotel in Michigan. It's a beautiful old hotel. Sadly, it caught fire. A crew battled a large fire at the historic Holly Hotel. That's right, a massive fire broke out in downtown Holly uh, Tuesday, this past Tuesday afternoon. It's a historic landmark in the village located at 110 Battle Alley, or Ally. It is one of the uh, buildings in the area that caught fire. Parts of the buildings were destroyed. 
Yeah, it seems like it's it really got the brunt of this horrific fire. Around 4 p.m., there was apparently an electrical shortage at the back end of Battle Alley Arcade Antiques. No major injuries, so that's a good thing, but several firefighters were hosp- hospitalized with heat exhaustion. So, um, you know, many thanks to the firefighters. They do an amazing job, an incredible job. But uh, one person at the scene said, it's kind of sad. I lived in Holly all my life. It's going to be different. The fire took out power in much of downtown Holly. And it does have emotion to it. You feel tied to it. Going in these buildings as a child, it's, it's a horrifically sad thing. I hope they can rebuild, and I hope I can actually go to it uh, one year because, like I said, I've always wanted to go to it, and frankly, it's a shame. It's a historic haunted building that, uh, it's such a shame. All righty, up next in paranormal news, <laughs> and I use this first word. This first word I'm going to say in this story has the biggest air quotes around it ever. Psychic. Yuri Geller claims NASA is lying about Mars discoveries and aliens. That's right. Good old spoonbender Yuri Geller has questions uh, has questioned recent NASA discoveries on Mars and has argued that UFOs have crash-landed on the Red Planet. It's definitely not natural or Mars-made. Any rational person, any logical person will tell you it can't be a rock, and it's a twisted wreckage of something that he wrote, uh, he wrote on his social media, sharing a picture from the Mars rover. He's also previously claimed that aliens have carved a Martian doorway on Mars using laser beams. Look, is there prob- are there probably structures on Mars? Yeah, probably. There was probably a civilization on Mars. It was very Earth-like for a very long time. Um, does the photo that he chose look like wreckage or does it look like a rock? Answer, or spoiler, it's a rock. Every time, like coast to coast or spoon it bending alleged morons post about stuff like this. It's always a rock. I guarantee you there's going to be shit that's going to be found on Mars. But the photos that you guys keep saying, like, look at this. It's obviously bent wreckage from a UFO. Really? Is it behind the rock? Because I only see a rock. Look at this. It's obviously a statue of David on the... Really? Because it looks to me just like a rock. It's pareidolia, people. It's a rock. Are there doorways? Sure, probably are. Is the doorway he chose? No, it looks like a doorway. It definitely doesn't look, or de- it looks like a rock. It definitely doesn't look like a doorway that's been carved by laser beams. You know why? Because I don't know what a rock doorway that's been carved by laser beams even looks like. So, no. Already up next in paranormal news. Milky Way has four malicious alien civilizations that could attack Earth, claims researcher. The researcher pinpointed the exact source of the wow signal, which was, de- which was detected in 1977 and was a strange minute-long burst of radio energy. Look, the wow, wow signal? That happened. We, don't, we still don't know what it was. But this guy says, There are roughly four malicious extraterrestrial civilizations in the, Mil- in the Milky Way that could attack our planet. Per Vice, Alberto Caballero, awesome name, a PhD student at the University of Vigo in Spain has said that he pinpointed the exact source of the wow signal. He explained that the Big Ear Telescope at Ohio State University received a burst of radio waves that lasted a minute and 12 seconds. It's known as the wow signal. Uh, over the decades, researchers have tried to study the signal and its origins. Now in his paper titled, Estimating the Prevalence of Malicious Extraterrestrial Civilizations. That's a good title. 
Mr. Caballero claimed that he had pinpointed the exact source. He believes it originated from a sun-like star 1,800 light years from Earth. Mr. Caballero's research is considered to be more of a thought experiment. Uh, the researcher, researcher said that the aim of his paper is to warn other scientists and put a number to the civilizations that could possibly revert to the messages we send out. Yeah, sure, I can get that. In putting together his study, Mr. Caballero study, uh, counted the number of invasions that have happened on Earth, including the WOW signal, and then applied this to the estimated number of exoplanets in the Milky Way. By his calculations, the number of civilizations that could possibly invade our planet is four. Okay. He warned scientists to use caution in using the practice of messaging extraterrestrial intelligence, METI, for fear it could provoke an alien invasion. Now, sadly, Mr. Caballero isn't the only one who has thought this. There's been many, um, many scientists who have said, like, you know what? We probably don't want to poke the bear, if you will, about sending out signals because if they can travel that distance and make their way to Earth, chances are, like like the uh, pilgrims or the white people or Spaniards or however you want to say it, they're going to get here, we're going to be the primitives, and they're going to attack. It's Hopefully, that's not the case. Hopefully, they're so advanced that they just go, uh, these monkeys with nukes are sending out nude pictures again, you know, like whatever, uh, sending out songs to us again. Let's not go there because look at them. That's my hope. But um, let's see, where was I? However, as per the New York Post, the researcher also concluded that the odds of extraterrestrials wiping out the human species is about the same as the Earth hit, being hit by a planet killer asteroid. He wrote that such an event takes place once every 100 million years, so humans are in all likelihood safe for the time being. I don't know about that. He also stated that there is likely fewer than one malicious extraterrestrial civilization in the Milky Way that has also mastered interstellar travel. Further, he said that uh, as societies advance, there are less likely to engage in conflict. Yep, I agree with that. Suggesting to him that an alien force will also follow the same behavior as they progress technologically. He hopes that his research will help start a conversation about whether it's actually risky to send messages into space. His research comes amid a time when the U.S. government has taken seriously increasing has taken seriously increasing signs of extraterrestrial life, though there is still no definitive proof. Huh. Yeah, I mean, look, some of the stuff I agree with the guy. I don't think that. I think it's a very bold statement to be like, "Look, I know how many bully aliens are out there. They're gonna kill us," and it's uh four. Yeah, it's four. Look, I know there's billions of pl habitable planets out there. And a good chance that they, they're way more advanced than us. But uh, there's four. You got to watch out for these four. The rest of them, they're okay. I don't know about that. Alrighty, another odd one in paranormal news. Nothing to worry about. Dolly. If you don't know what Dolly is, D-A-L-L-E. Uh, actually, it, it'll probably tell you in the story in a minute. I'm just going to read you the headline. Dolly has created a new cryptid named Krungus. Alrighty, so last month, an artificial intelligence researcher caused a bit of stir when he suggested that text-to-image generator Dolly 2 had created its own secret language. That, that is creepy, because if you've seen any of the photos that people have been posting um, from Dolly, D-A-L-L-E, they are weird, and it's so popular right now, you can't even get to it. It's always, Dolly's always busy, like, I want a photo of uh, Indiana Jones punching out... Um, 
Margot Hemingway, you know, like I'm trying to think of the most random things to put together. And there, and then Dolly will paint it and it looks all funky and weird and creepy. But, um, so yeah, Dolly might have created its own secret language recently. That's creepy. But now they're saying that Dolly appears to have invented an entirely new cryptid named Krungus. All hail Krungus. Alrighty, so comedian Guy Kelly was messing around with Dolly when he decided to put in the prompt Krungus, C-R-U-N-G-U-S. He says, I really enjoy coming up with words, names, things that sound satisfying and evoke a feeling of a thing. Krungus, plump, crudge. So I was lying in bed at two or three in the morning and I thought, ooh, I should come up with some of those names that sound like a monster to me into this AM or this AI Dolly thingy and see if... It agrees with me. He said the plan was to try a few, but I hit run on the site and promptly fell asleep. When I woke up the following morning, opened my phone, and was greeted by Krungus. It was horrible. Uh, well, he's not wrong. So if you go to at uh, Brain Image on Twitter, you can see a photo of Krungus. He just typed in the word Krungus and hit run, and then Dolly went, you want Krungus, I'll give you a Krungus. And it's this... Cr- troll-like, long-haired thing. And he said, well, I really don't like how similar all these pictures of Krungus, a word I made up, is. Why are they all the same man? Is Krungus real? Have I discovered a secret cryptid? What does Dolly know that we don't know? Yeah. Um, Another person said, you know what? I wanted to try it myself. So he typed in Krungus into Dolly and got nine different photos of Krungus. So, apparently, (laughs) apparently, Krungus is a troll-like looking uh, cryptid. Like, creepy as all hell. Sorry, I was watching Rum. She's stealing her bacon off of the... Yeah, I'm watching you stealing the bacon off the coffee table. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Alrighty, so they said that there, the fun thing is there's no such monster even exists. The first result for the word on Google reveals that Krungus is the crud and fungus that collects under extremely long fingernails left unmanicured for extended period of time. We've all had Krungus, people. Now, another fun thing is that despite the previous non-existence of this cryptid, cryptid, Dolly reliably spits out the same monster when other people try Krungus. So other people have tried it, and sure as shit... That's a whole lot of kung- Krungus. And and someone said, like, cute Krungus, and it just tried to make the evil-looking, troll-looking thing cute-ish. So, yeah, look, uh, future Krungus is just Krungus with armor. It's bizarre. It really is bizarre. Krungus goes shopping. It's that monster with the shopping cart in front of it. Ah, uh, Wow. A Krungus Netflix special. It's Krungus usually like in a suit, but with them holding a microphone in front of like, you know, like like a comedian does. Um, And they said, well, maybe it's trying to think of Krampus, but it, it doesn't really, because he tried Krampus in, in Dolly and, and what Dolly spit back was very Krampus looking things, not very Krungus looking things. And someone finally said, I'm afraid in that case, the only logical explanation is you have summoned his grossness to our reality and we can never sleep safely again. Uh, another person said, maybe the closest thing is Gwar, vocalist, odorous, ungerous. So maybe the AI is pulling all the stuff with the rungus suffix. I don't know. It's weird. 
It's a whole lot of Krungus, though, people. So all hail Krungus. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. Oh, why isn't this one clicking? Hold on. Let me try it again. Oh, here we go. I was the Pentagon's top UFO scientist. I've seen more mystery objects than I can count, and we don't know what they are. Now, this is coming from Dr. Travis Taylor. If you guys watch The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, he's that southern-sounding metaphysicist, astrophysicist, scientist, guy that I actually interviewed on an earlier episode. Well, turns out, um, yeah, he did have some uh, high clearance or high security clearance back in the day. He's not lying because he said he was offered the job of chief scientist for the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, the organization that was created by Congress to track UFO sightings. Dr. Taylor has long been known as the top investigator of UFOs and the paranormal at Skinwalker Ranch, as well as other History Channel programs, but he was living a double life as the chief scientist for the UAP task force. After leaving University Alabama-born, Dr. Taylor wrote a book about how the U.S. government should prepare for alien contact called An Introduction to Planetary Defense. Um, he said it was caught, it caught the attention of high-ranking intelligence official Jay Stratton, who offered him the job. Jay Stratton, the director of the UAP task force, asked me if I would be interested in being the chief scientist. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, of course I would. They already created a classified briefing of the most mysterious military objects, including that 2004 Tic Tac incident. Hold on one second. Rum, knock it off, please. Come here. All right, the 144... These 144 incidents were in... Ta oh, let's see. What, I skipped something. Oh, sorry. The UAP task force cut down the database into 144 of the best cases, which Dr. Taylor helped write up as a final report. These 144 were incidents where, in, ta in Taylor's words, we still couldn't figure out what they were, where they came from, and what their intent was. Now, this includes dozens of bizarre objects that buzzed multiple U.S. Navy ships in 2019. Some of these were spheres that seemed to swarm as they tracked the warships. Others appear as green pyramids. Last month, a Navy official stunned task force members when they were told a congressional hearing that all these sightings were, quote, drones appearing to debunk the mystery. But Taylor says, no, we had a lot of sensor data on some of them that we couldn't determine what they are. If it's out near peers, if it's out near peers doing it, that's scary. I have no idea what that sentence means. But at the same time, we also never found any evidence that it was our, oh, our near peers. They misspelled it on this article. If it's our near peers, basically if it's other countries like China or Russia or whatever doing it, that's scary. We have never found any evidence that it was our near peers that were doing it. He said, despite being one of the world's best known UFO hunters, Taylor is far from a believer in the cause. He said he was brought in as consultant on the TV shows such as Ancient Aliens and The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch because of his skepticism. That's what I like about him as well. I like that he's trying to use science to prove the paranormal or debunk stuff that is not real, not real paranormal. He insists, he insists it is possible to study the paranormal while still being a scientist. I agree 100% with that, sir. When Taylor joined business... Oh, it's all right. Uh, it's all Skinwalker Ranch from there. That's been the... That's the majority of that article that's important. All righty, now, I think this is a first. I think this might be my first paranormal news debunk. First, I'm going to tell you the story, then I'll tell you a little bit of behind, like the backstory of why I added this one. Man discovers extraterrestrial coin in roll of quarters. 
That's right. An unusual quarter has captured the attention online this week after it was found by a Michigan man. Jordan, who uses the Reddit handle, Albanese Gummies 327 and preferred not to give his surname, shared a picture of his find on Reddit's Coins Forum where it grabbed attention as appeared to feature an alien in its design. Said, checking coin rolls is a hobby of mine that I love to do in my spare time. I was inspecting a large bag of quarter rolls, opening them one by one to look for older pieces with high silver content. In one of those rolls, I was immediately startled by an odd coin featuring the bust of an extraterrestrial. I took, it stood out in stark contrast to the bust of the Washington president on the other coins. And it does. It's a photo. I'll just, I'll keep, I'll keep to the article. It's a photo of a coin. He's holding it in his hand. It says 1937 on it. It is definitely a gray alien looking to the right, the side, like a profile of a gray, gray alien with only the word liberty on it. After sharing a picture of the coin, uh, a lot of people on Reddit said, oh man, that's nice. Looks like it was designed after hobo nickels, which you don't know what hobo nickels are. Uh, they're popularized in the early 20th century in the U.S. when homeless people would alter classic coins engraving their own designs using knives and other tools. Uh, spoiler, that's what it is. It's believed that as many 200,000 classic hobo nickels were created from 1913 to 1980, and today people are still doing it. Uh, that awesome. I love it. What does the back look like? The backside shows the date of the apocalypse. Only those that own the coin can see it. Bullshit. Um, all right, so that's what it is. I'll send, I'll post a photo or I'll post the article, this article on uh, the Facebook page so you guys can see it, but you can just look up like Alien Quarter and that's how I found it. All right, so how I found it though is while I was on that Black Site File podcast, this was one of his paranormal news stories or whatever he's calling his paranormal, I think he just called it paranormal news. Uh, one of his stories and as he was talking about it, I was like, well, I got to get a photo of this. I got to look up a photo of this. So I looked it up while he's talking about it, telling the story, and then debunked it pretty damn quick. I figured out that it was an actual 1937 coin, American coin, but it's not a quarter. If you look up Buffalo Nickel, 1937 Buffalo Nickel, if you look it up, Liberty is in the exact same place that it is on this coin. 1937 is in the exact same place as it is on this coin. And you can even tell that it was the Native American on the, on the coin, on the buffalo head nickel. Um, you can even tell that that's where they got this gray alien from. It's amazing artwork. Like, whoever the artist was that made it, it's freaking awesome. And he should just sell them. But don't go walking around saying bullshit like, you know, the back of this coin is the date of the apocalypse and only the owner of that coin can read it. Nah, fuck that noise. It's a cool coin. It's debunked. I know what exactly what it was. It's a buffalo nickel that someone did a hobo nickel style carving into it that's very cool and I would love to have one, but let's stick with the reality and it's just that. But it's very cool. You guys should take, take a look at it. Like I said, if you just look up you know, alien quarter or extraterrestrial coin or Michigan, you know, like add, you know, a few words into Google, you will find it. It's, it's pretty, you know, prevalent out there, but it is sadly not a real extraterrestrial coin with the date of the apocalypse on the back, but still cool nonetheless. And I got to thank, um, uh, uh, Matthew again, or Michael, sorry, she's man, I'm terrible with names. I'm sorry, Michael. I got to thank Michael again for having me on black site files and then introducing me to this story because I wouldn't have come across it. And when I was looking for paranormal news, I missed this one. So 
thanks to him, I found it. And it's, I think, the first paranormal news debunk out there. All righty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more paranormal news. No, more paranormal almanac. We are back. And like I said, after having a great time with Black Sight Files and Michael, I figured out why not move this episode up and do a companion piece to his episode. So let's talk about the Old West. More importantly, let's talk about the ghost stories that are connected to the Old West. First, let's talk about some ghosts, and then let's get to where you can go and possibly see or even stay and see some Old West ghosts because why the hell not? If they're going to have some Old West ghosts, might as well go and see them, right? All righty, first, let's talk about dogs because, you know, dogs. Dogs are the best, but not just any dogs. These are Old West dogs, or more specifically, the hell dogs of Nevada. Yep. I guess not all dogs go to heaven because there are many stories about the hell dogs of Nevada. Basically, starting in around the 19th century, there were stories of ghost dogs being seen all over the Southwest and especially in El Dorado Canyon. Now, many think the reason behind this is a lot of gold miners often had dogs with them to kind of protect them, protect their mines, protect their claims, and... They were kind of vicious dogs. They were guard dogs. Now, unfortunately, many of these dogs were abandoned when the gold veins dried up and, you know, the miners just left. Or worse, they were shot and killed by robbers trying to get the claims. So people think that the hell dogs of Nevada are actually just ghost dogs from the Old West still protecting the claims. Now, one person who saw the hell dogs near the Shadowlands site said, For many years, people have come out of this canyon with tales of sightings and in a very few instances, terrifying accounts of actually being attacked or chased by these alleged ghost dogs while exploring various different mines or towns, blah, 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 in the area. They go on to say, Curious as to the validity of such tales, my brother and I made the decision to do a little exploring on our own. On the first excursion, we found nothing as was expected. However, on the last adventure, we stumbled onto what we thought was just another anonymous shaft. But as we looked closer at the site, we noticed about an eight-foot severely weathered chain embedded into the rock wall at the entrance of the shaft. Well, curiosity got the best of both of us, and foolishly, we entered the shaft. There, we came upon the bones of what appeared to be those of a large dog. We decided to camp there... Why the hell would you camp there? But as the day was coming to slowly to an end, a decision that we would later come to regret. The still desert night closed in as we had dinner and relaxed around our small campfire, but we heard what we assumed were coyotes yipping and calling off in the distance. The atmosphere became thick and very uneasy, and we now felt that we were being watched from a very close distance. What we thought was the nighttime breeze now sounded more like panting or breathing of a large dog in close proximity. Then we heard growling, grating, low, and hateful. I'm reading this word from word from this guy. He's very flourished. Uh, the, um, this story is very flourished. Uh, the fall of paws on the desert sand now became apparent. They seemed to circle the campsite. We were surrounded. That's when the scratching started. It came from the area where the chain was. 
the damn chain had moved. It seemed to tug away from the rock wall, pulling harder and harder each time. We fumbled for our gear and stumbled to our feet. Wow, that's like, isn't that the beginning of um, 9 to 5? We fumbled for our gear and we stumbled to our feet. Uh, my uh, brother shone the flashlight at the chain. There were scratch marks on the rock. There would appear to be blood stains on the wall where seemingly the unfortunate dog furiously clawed at the chain's base into the rock itself. All right, simmer down, pal. The chain dropped, something brushed good two or th- something brushed against my leg, and I struggled to keep my balance. My brother caught me, and we ran like hell towards the car. The fall of canine footsteps and wild panting chased us all the way. I've never run faster in my life. All right, Kurt here. If the dog is bloodying its paws trying to get itself off the chain, how is it chasing you guys for seemingly forever? Uh, so much bullshit to the story, but all right, I'll keep going. On the road, heading out to the canyon, we were we were paced for a good two or three miles at least by what seemed to be a pack of wild strays. We made it home, and I'll never forget the terror of being chased by this pack of spectral hounds. So, yeah, um, there's a lot to unpack in that story. I, I don't understand the point of the chain what is there just one hell dog that's still chained up and all the others are like, fuck that. Let's get these guys. Like, I don't know. There seems to be a lot to this. Where did, why did it come from one all of a sudden to a pack of them? But I wasn't there. Maybe it's this, maybe this is real. And he just, like I said, embellished a little bit to make the story a little bit better, which always angers me because if you have a ghost story, you don't need to embellish it. You have a freaking ghost story. Uh, as much as I'd love to see a ghost dog, I don't know if I need to necessarily see these ghost dogs because it seems like they're still guarding the mines and pretty much should be left alone. So let's leave the poor hell dogs of Nevada alone. Or at least bring them treats. Don't try to, like, go into the mine shaft and mess with their bones. Bring them a treat. Or give them what... They got a stack of bones right there. It's their own bones, but sure, dogs love bones. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. All right, for this next quick one, and it is very quick, let's go to Bannock, Montana. Now, this was another gold rush town that boomed, peaked, and basically was abandoned when the gold stopped. And in this town, there was a guy named Henry Plummer. Now, he showed up, and soon after, he was elected sheriff. He wasn't a great guy. Now, the legend says that Plummer hired a group of gang members who would rob and murder people traveling between Bannock and the neighboring Virginia City. So, yeah, shitty sheriff right there. In 1863, the Montana Vigilantes were formed by local miners, and over the next month and a half, they hanged 24 gang members, and yep, Sheriff Plummer too. Well... People to this day say they see a ghost, and that ghost looks an awful lot like Sheriff Plummer. He's seen appearing and disappearing all over town. Now, I tried to find out more details about his death, but I, I really couldn't find anything up about like if any other law officers were shot. All I could find is they shot the sheriff, but they didn't shoot the deputy. This episode is brought to you by Paranormal Dad Jokes. Paranormal Dad Jokes, jokes so bad... They'll make you boo. Alrighty, up next is the ship of death in Wyoming, which is the worst kind of ship to see unless you're in a bad relationship. Zing! Look, people, the podcast is free. Give me a break. You get what you pay for. And for the patrons that did pay for this, okay, for you, I'm sorry. 
Alrighty, ship of death, Wyoming. Along the Platte River in Wyoming, since the 1800s, people have been seeing the death ship. Now, according to the stories, the ship is covered in heavy fog, and the skeletal crew members stand around a corpse lying on the deck most of the stories, which is a lot of details given to that first part because it's a heavy fog. I don't see how they can see all these details, but, you know, stick with me for a minute. Somehow... The legend says that if you board the ship, because why the hell would you board it, and you pull back the canvas, again, why would you do that? But if you do, you'll see the face of someone you know who will die the same day that you see the ship. But that's the legend. These next eyewitnesses, none of them actually boarded the ship. So good on them for seeing a ghost ship and not going, well, I want to get on the ghost ship. Look, it's not the end of Goonies, people. If you see a ghost ship, nothing good is going to happen. You don't want to be on it. All right, first eyewitness story. Happened over 100 years ago when a trapper named Leon Weber says he saw an enormous ball of fog. Now, he rushed to the river's edge to get a closer look and even tossed a stone at the ball of fog. I mean, why? Apparently because he doesn't like balls of fog. I have no idea. Now, the fog may not like having a rock thrown at it because it turned into the death ship. He said its mass and sails were covered in a silver sparkling frost. Ooh, I like it. It's very uh, twilight. He said he could also see several sailors also covered in frost, and they were crowded around something on the ship's deck, which he said, once he got a little closer and he looked at it, he didn't get on the ship, but he was just kind of watching it. He said that something on the ship's deck was the corpse of a girl. He then realized who she was. He said it was the corpse of his fiance. Now, after the encounter ended, he kind of like took off and returned home. It took him a month to get home when he found out she had died the same day he had seen the death ship. All right, keeping score. Death ship one, witness zero. All right, the next sighting happened in 1887 when cattleman Gene Wilson was rounding up his herd near the Platte River when his dog began barking and his horse started getting spooked or whatever by something. So he tied up the, uh, the horse. He walked to the banks of the river to see... Spoiler, it's the death ship. Everybody's going to see the death ship. All right, so he said the ship was frozen on the lake and appeared all frost-covered. Same stuff, skeleton crew on board, but this time... The captain aboard motioned them to lower a frost-covered piece of canvas that was supposedly, like, suspended by ropes at its four corners. I don't really think he meant to lower it. I think he meant, like, it was kind of lowered, and he kind of had them raise the four corners. But as the bundle reached the deck... Oh, maybe it was lowered. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Oh, I guess it could be, like, suspended. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's a piece of canvas suspended by ropes on the four corners... And he had them lower it. As the bundle, as the thing reached the deck, the sailors drew back the cloth. And Gene said when it lifted or drew back, whatever, he said he saw his wife lying there. Which is weird because that's not where he last saw her. And she never mentioned knowing a bunch of skeletons on a ghost ship either. So that's kind of odd. Anyhow, so he freaks out, jumps on his horse. He rides back to his house to find his house burnt to ashes and his wife lying dead about 100 yards from the house. 
Like, I don't know what this guy Gene did. Did he throw a rock at the ball of fog, too? Because he must have really pissed off the ghost ship. Because it not only took out his house, or his wife, but it took out his house, too. So, keeping score, that's death ship. I'm going to call it three. Two people in a house. Witnesses, zero. Then, the next sighting happened in 1912, when Victor Heisey, or Hybe, I don't know, Victor who said he knew nothing about the death ship before this, said he had taken a smoke break from chopping firewood near the banks of the North Platte River. As he held a match to his pipe bowl, he said, he noticed the prerequisite bank of fog out of nowhere, and slowly moving down the river towards him was the ghost ship. As it came closer, he said he was amazed to see the swirling mist begin to take the form of the ghost ship, and it seemed to be covered in ice. Now, he said a sail blocked him from getting a clear view, but he could see that there was a crew standing on the deck. He could also hear voices. He said he heard a man's voice asserting that he was innocent and another man's voice responding that they were only carrying out their duty. Uh, So he said that uh, instead of seeing a canvas covering a body, he said he saw on the forward deck there was a gallows with a man's body hanging from it. And... As you probably have guessed, the body swayed. It turned to show him the face of his best friend. Who, in real life, not ghost ship stuff, this best friend had been tried and Victor thought wrongly convicted of murder, but the last that Victor had heard, his friend had escaped from prison and was still out there. But, yep, ghost ship, what are we at, four? Ghost ship four, witness zero. Victor would later find out that the friend had been captured and put to death the same day he saw the death ship. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Uh, One cool thing I thought that, or that I found that I thought was kind of interesting is all sightings of the death ship occurred during the middle of the day, close to the afternoon, not at night or in the early morning when, you know, like fog typically rolls in. And there's actually a, um, an organization that tracks the sightings. It's called the Cheyenne Bureau of Psychological Research. They recommend that visitors to the river keep an eye out for the death ship during autumn, as that seems to be the time of year when it makes its most appearances. All right, Kurt here. My recommendation is don't look for the death ship because it's a fucking death ship and someone you know will die. In fact, my recommendation is don't go anywhere near the Platte River just to be safe. Don't fucking go near the river. It can't be that pretty of a river. There's got to be other rivers around there that you can go and look at. You don't need to go near a death ship river. And if you do go near the river and if you do look for the ghost ship, I don't know you. So you better not see me, okay? Fuck off with the little death ship, people. Don't go looking for a death ship. All righty. Another harbinger of death. This next one is the death bird, which was very prevalent in the Old West. Legend said it was a Native American belief that if you see the death bird, you would either be forewarned and avoid death or die shortly after. Or, in my opinion, people would see a bird and then either not die or die later from something completely unrelated. Now, the death bird is still seen to this day with absolutely no descriptions online of what it looks like. So I guess while you're avoiding looking at the death ship, also avoid looking at birds in the southwest, I guess. I have no other information for you. Uh, Death ship, bad. Death bird, maybe bad. 
All right, with that informative piece, let's move on to the lost gold mine. A German immigrant, I'm going to repeat that part, a German immigrant named Jacob Waltz found a massive amount of gold and passed away, passed away from exhaustion carrying large saddlebags filled with gold near Superstition Mountains in Arizona. Now, the story goes that the man died. Ever since, people have been looking for the lost Dutchman's gold mine. Now, look, I swear I've talked about this one before, but I couldn't find it in any of my episodes outlines that I wrote. But, so I'm not going to go too deep into this one, but I got to say, it's called the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine. So it's not the best description ever because he's supposedly German, not Dutch, but it's just as bad because the mine is either in Arizona, could be in California, could be in Colorado, basically anywhere around Superstition Mountain, which is in Arizona, but they don't think it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Details aren't its strong point. But anyhow, people go out every year looking for the mine. Some say they've seen the ghost of James Waltz, who they think is still guarding the mine's location. Kurt here, if you see the ghost of James Waltz, you're probably near the right area. So how about you go, oh, okay, well, I saw his ghost here, we all work together. You report where you see him. You get 70%. We'll split the 30%. And we all get the biggest, largest gold vein ever, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I found a ton of BS on this one. And I really, really think I talked about this one on a Lost Treasure episode. So, yeah, there's a cool ghost named James Walt. He's not the death bird. He's not a death ship. So I'm going to keep moving on. All righty. This next one is a popular ghost that's still seen to this day. For this one, we go back to 1861 to the Buckskin Joe Mining Camp in Colorado. I got to be honest, I didn't think Colorado was considered Old West, but I guess it is. So I'm going to conclude it on this episode, but with that caveat. Anyhow, there's a popular pretty dancer named Silverheels that was there. The whole town loved Silverheels, but the story goes sad quickly because... Smallpox basically ripped through the town one winter. Smallpox, terrible, it's bad. Silverheels stops dancing around for them and starts tending to the sick and even helped with the burials and then disappeared. Now it's thought that she either caught smallpox and was scarred from it, couldn't handle people seeing her like that, or caught smallpox and just died. But guest to this day see a beautiful woman ghost in Old West attire, and it's thought to be the ghost of Silverheels. So that's kind of cool. I like it. It's a very simple one. So if you go to the Buckskin Joe Mining Camp in Colorado, you might get to see Silverheels, who sounds like she was very pretty and very helpful. So good on Silverheels. All righty, for this next one, let's go to the Copper Queen Hotel in Bisbee, Arizona, built in 18... Oh, almost lied to you. Built in 1902. It's the longest continuously running hotel in Arizona. That's right, you can stay there. And if you do, here are some room tips and what you might see there. The most famous ghost here was a prostitute who fell in love with one of her customers. Her love was unrequited, and as you all know, if you've ever listened to other episodes... When that happens, they killed themselves. And yep, she killed herself in the hotel and is now a ghost there. She's seen all over the west side of the second and third stories of the hotel. But 
If you go there, ask for one of these rooms specifically. Room 401, where you might smell cigar smoke and more importantly to me, see the ghost of an older gentleman with a top hat and a cape. Room 401 is considered the most haunted room here. He can also be seen found lurking around doorways and appearing in shadows of other rooms on the fourth floor, but primarily seen in room 401. They say, look, if you book room 401, there's a damn good chance you're going to see a ghost. Next room, room 315. This one is haunted by the ghost of Julia Lowell. Now, she was a beautiful sex worker who hanged herself, as always, after an unrequited love affair with one of her regulars who refused to leave his wife. Now, her favorite room was room 315. She was very attractive in her 30s, but nowadays, probably back then too, but nowadays, she often tries to seduce men who stay in room 315 by whispering in their ear or stroking their feet. Yeah, that's right. If you stay in this room, Julia might come on to you. And if she doesn't, not even a ghost woman wants you. Think about that. Uh, She's also seen around the second and third floors, usually on the west side of the building. Guests have also seen her dancing at the base of the staircase. Now, another ghost who's seen all over the hotel is the ghost of Billy. That's right. We got a ghost kid on this episode. He was the son of a hotel worker who would always play in the halls and dining rooms with other children. When Billy was about eight years old, he went for a swim in the San Pedro River. The current took him uh, downstream and he drowned as he struggled to get back to shore. Now, he's often seen playing in the hotel lobby, but a lot of sites say it's only children who can actually see Billy or Billy's ghost. But adults can hear Billy, usually laughing, often. And the sounds of him running around the hotel are always heard. But if you want to stay in a room with Billy, and God knows why you'd want to, because as you all know, ghost children are the worst... Stay in room 412, where if you're a kid, you're going to see Billy. If you're an adult, you're going to hear Billy giggling. No, thank you. You're going to see the door handles move. Eh, that's fine. I'm fine with that part. And it's said that if you leave some candy out, it'll stop him from hiding or moving your stuff around the room. Yep. Billy seems to love to steal or hide personal belongings, including stuffed animals, wallets, clothing, have all gone missing, only to be found in other parts of the motel. Hotel, sorry. He also tends to move furniture around the hotel room when nobody's there. Now, one guest claims to have had his or had her room key stolen, then saw it mysteriously floating in front of her face while she rode the elevator. All right, that's kind of cool, Billy. I got to admit, that one's kind of cool. Now, some guests have claimed to have been tapped on the shoulder by an invisible hand. And if you run a bath or take a shower, you might hear Billy crying. Some say because it, it, because it reminds him of drowning. I say it's because of how you look in the shower. And that's not all the ghosts, though. Many paranormal investigators say that there may be up to 16 different ghosts in the building and have experienced doors shaking or slamming shut, phantom phone calls, and pictures thrown off the walls. Stuff that isn't the usual, you know, Billy, Julia, or a cigar-smoking man kind of stuff. They think that there are multiple ghosts that are at this hotel. So, you know, the, the recommendation for this episode 
is the Copper Queen Hotel in Bisbee, Arizona, because you got the gambit of stuff. All right, let's keep moving on because I'm running out of time here and go to the St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico, built in 1872. Like everything in the Old West, it had many murders during its decades of operation. It had a lot of famous or infamous guests like Jesse James, Buffalo Bill Cody, Black Jack Ketchum, and more. Uh, there are several ghosts that are still here, including the original owner's wife and young son, two young girls, a cowboy, and other random ghosts. This is my second recommendation for this episode. The hotel's second floor is the most active with stories of cold spots, smell of cigar smoke, footsteps, voices, things moving, the usuals. A prior manager said, you never see them, but you do feel and hear them. And then another owner or former owner said that uh, she walked in the dining room and saw a pleasant-looking cowboy standing behind her in the mirror on the front of the bar. That's kind of cool. Room 18 at the hotel is kept locked, though, because it houses the ghost of Thomas James Wright, who was killed at his door just after winning the rights to the hotel in a poker game. Having been shot from behind, he continued into the room, slowly bled to death right there in the room. Sights say that his ghost is very angry and still in the room and does not like company. A former owner or worker, I couldn't really tell, said she was pushed down while in the room and on another occasion saw a ball of angry orange light floating in the upper corner. Kurt here, what exactly makes a ball of orange light look angry? Did it have an angry face? Like, why is it angry? Uh, the room holds only a bed frame without a mattress, a coat rack, a rocking chair, a bureau with Jack Daniels on it, a bottle of Jack Daniels, a basin, a pitcher, hands of, uh, a handful of cards, an Ace Copenhagen tin, and several shot glasses, apparently. On the wall is a painting of a half-naked woman, and that's about it for the room, but the staff considers this room to be the most haunted, and people are very rarely allowed to even enter the room, but never rent it out. That's cool. Room 17 is where you can see Henry's second wife, Mary Elizabeth. Mary gave birth to her, her children in the hotel and died there in December of 1926. Uh, supposedly, you can still smell her rose-scented perfume there in room 17. And sometimes, a tapping is heard when the window is open and will not stop until the window is closed. So if you stay in room 17... I mean, first I would try that. I would open up the window and see if you can hear tapping. But if you do start to hear tapping, just close the window. Mary obviously doesn't like the window open. Uh, other, other occasions, people have seen a milky, transparent woman in the hallways there. All right, still in the same hotel, another quote-unquote dwarf-like old man has also been seen here. Nicknamed the Little Imp by the hotel staff, they say he's very mischievous. He's constantly playing tricks and laughing at the staff. They said on one occasion, he was uh, said to have stuck a knife into the floor between two owners of the inn. Uh, look, I wouldn't call that mischievous. I'd say that's damn scary. Maybe stop calling him the little imp and he won't have to cut you. Um, that one seems kind of creepy. So the little imp is often blamed for objects that mysteriously disappear, only to be found later in locations where they don't belong. Staff report that items constantly fall off the walls and shelves. And electrical equipment at the front desk behaves unpredictably there. Now, others have reported cold spots throughout the, the historic inn. They say that lights seem to turn on and off by themselves. Feelings of being watched. Uh, lights, sounds, noises, the usual. 
Yeah, so that's the St. James uh, Hotel. Oh, wait, I got another story from there. Cody Mutz, a college student who worked summers at that hotel, reported that in 2002, as he was working at the front desk, he heard a high-pitched shriek, high-pitched shriek coming from the far corner of the lobby. Now, no one was there, and the hotel guests that were nearby there said they didn't hear anything. It was only Cody that heard it. So once again, that is the St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico. Another really good one to go to see ghosts, I guess. Alrighty, lastly on this episode, the final one, the Dumas Brothel in Butte, Montana. It was opened in 1890. It closed in 1982. That's right. The Dumas Brothel was the longest running brothel in U.S. history. Unfortunately, now it's just a boring old museum, so you can't get ghost sex there. Because um, if it, that would have been like the best ending to this ever. If you guys want ghost sex, go to the Dumas Brothel in Mute, Montana. As for uh, Silver Heels, she'll sex you up good. Nope. Sadly, it's just a museum now. It's rumored to have many ghosts, though. Notably, Eleanor Knott. Eleanor was supposedly working at the brothel when she decided to run away with one of her married customers. She waited for him at the brothel, but he never arrived. So, yep, she committed suicide with sleeping pills and alcohol and was found next found the next day dead. Eleanor's ghost is still seen at the brothel museum to this day, though. Look, before I continue on with that, getting jilted sucks. Getting left behind sucks, but it's not worth committing suicide over. And it seems like if you do that, if you kill yourself because unrequited love, you're going to become a ghost at the last place you work. So you want to haunt a Krispy Kreme forever because Phil doesn't love you anymore? I don't think so. Don't, don't do that. How about we stop killing ourselves over stupid people that don't seem to want you? It's not worth it. Anyhow, uh, back to the Dumas brothel. There's a bunch of ghosts there. Go to the, go to the museum. There's a good chance you're going to see a ghost. All righty, that about does it for this week's edition. What do you guys think? Do you like the idea of, like, you know, going to the Old West, staying at one of these hotels, and possibly having a ghost experience? Because I think it's cool, except for Billy. I don't want, I'm sorry, Billy. I don't like kid ghosts. But I'll, I'll go, I don't know if I want someone touching my feet, though. So, what was her name? Julia? No, thank you, Julia. Don't, don't, don't touch me. You want to whisper in my ear? That'll freak me out. It'll be creepy. But don't play with my feet. I don't like real people playing with my feet. Like, just don't touch feet. Um, which one of these places would you stay at? If you had the chance to stay at any one of these, which one floats your boat the most? Speaking of floating your boat, ghost ship. You're on the Platte River and fog rolls in. You're going to look for the ghost ship or are you going to run like hell? Me, personally? I'm running like hell. I'm getting the fuck out of there. I'm going to say, wait, this is the Platte River. Why the hell are we at the Platte River? I didn't want to be at the Platte River. I don't want to see the ball of fog. Don't throw a rock at it, Steve. Now you're going to piss. I'm out of here. Fuck you, Steve. Don't see me on the boat. I want nothing to do with it. Where would you guys go? What would you like to see on this list? What would you like to see? That's my question for you all this week. Um, what else do I got to say about ghosts? I like the Old West ghosts. There seems to be a shit ton of them, and for a very good reason. It was very... There was a lot of violent deaths in the Old West, you know? It was way more than you'd possibly even imagine, I bet. So, uh, yeah, if there is a place that should be this haunted, the Old West, yeah, that seems about right. I'm not too surprised by that. All right, with that, uh, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Samig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal 
Almanac. Stroke near Bassid Huff. This Yosh Snimmy. Seed up Nimmy. Stroke near Bassid Huff.